Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. In Episode 5, we will discuss some of the unique themes, lore, and secrets mentioned across the Warcry books, and how you might use them for an overarching narrative in your games or campaigns. My name is Josh, and answering the call with me this week is Paven. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a nice, relaxing holiday break, and, you know, kind of back at it. It's been good. Yeah, yeah. I had a nice time, and we got hit with some Warcry news that I'm very excited to talk about. And also, we have a great show. Exactly. We yeah. Lots of interesting topics. Yeah, and I we were talking beforehand. I usually don't do this much uh, show prep, but I'm I'm excited to see how it pays off. <laughs> and everything you, you learned, learned along the way. <laughs> yeah. But let's uh let's kick it off and then we're going to kick it off with some hobby progress or the forge of Mithraxis. Josh, what have you been working on? Yeah, over this holiday period that we had, I was able to actually start working on a test scheme for my uh Canine Shadow Stalkers. And uh, I've got some things I like on the model and some things I don't, so I'm I'm kind of revisiting it in my head in terms of what I might try or push approach it differently to see if I like that progress better. But it was nice. Had a little uh, virtual hobby call with my nephew, and then my stepson Ben was with us. We painted for like two hours, so I had a lot of fun doing that, kind of working all together, encouraging each other, and, and getting started on that paint scheme. How about yourself? Right. I must confess, I haven't gotten a ton done since our last show. I got I I think like most of uh, most nerds I got derailed into Hades, which is a super fun. Uh, what do they What do they call those types of games? They call them roguelikes by the same guys that did uh, Bastion and Transistor. That was a very okay. fun game. I kind of lost a week to that, and then I <laughs> and then uh, World of Warcraft Shadowlands just came out, and I've been pulled into that. So the hobby the hobby's taking a hit, but I do have some things to report. First, my Green Stuff World rollers came in, and so that was what I was waiting on to work on my bases for my Signs of the Flame. Right. So I got I, I got those all rolled out. Um, the method I am, or the kind of the basing scheme I'm doing is I as I roll out a base, and so you put down you put down like a layer of what I'm using is brown stuff, but some sort of sculpting clay. Um, you roll out the texture on it, and for me, I'm doing kind of a cobblestone. And then once it's all dry and I cleaned it up, I tear it off the base and tear it up into sections. And then I expand that to two or three bases. So, you know, uh, it, and then I, I fill in the rest with um, a modeling or a basing paste, a basing paste. And I stick a skull in or some rocks and, you know, I prime them all and then I'm going to paint them. And I'm going for some kind of ruined castle or a dungeon. Oh, I, my, my mind is going dungeon, although I might do tuft. And does can you grow a tuft in a dungeon? Sure, why not? It depends on how the color combination works uh, with, yeah. with the rest of them. So I've gotten those all primed. I haven't painted them all. I've also worked on... I had said I had uh, gotten two initiatives, initiates done, kind of the lowest level guys of the Scions, um, as part of the second wave to add to my warband. I went back to the second initiate, and uh, she was looking too similar in profile and silhouette to the first one. 
So I gave her, I did, I took my hobby knife and I gave her like kind of a haircut. Um, cause that will really nice. change like our, the face, uh, silhouette and make her look different, especially with a new paint scheme. Um, and then I had to sculpt up some ro- robes. So I, you know, I, I pushed myself in the sculpting direction. I'm not very, I'm not very good at green stuff, but I'm trying to get better, uh, like working at it at different times when it has different, uh, properties. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah I have, I, uh, I paint, I, I primed her. Uh, I primed all those bases, and then the last bit of hobby progress, I guess I will report, or I'll count it, is I did set up Gitsville with all of my Gloomspite Gits, and took uh, very p- poor pictures of them, and then sent them to Games Workshop for Armies on Parade. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, I am, uh, yeah, I wish I was better at taking photos, and I didn't do a backdrop, which, looking at the photos now, was a huge mistake, because you can just, like, see my dining room, and that's very distracting. Gotcha. Uh, but, you know, everything's a learning curve, and it was my first Armies on Parade participation. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so I That's feel good about that. Yeah, yeah it was, it, you know, it's almost like a two-year project it ended up being. Like, I started the Gits when uh, when they got released, I think, Christmas two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, but, uh, the you know, the show helped me uh, create the terrain that is somewhat themed with them. So it was nice. I could, have, you know, assemble a board without doing too much extra work. So that's it. That's all I can report. I know I talked a long time for very little actual progress, but that's, <laughs> that's a lot of progress. That's so podcasting, baby. Of, made lots of little steps. That's you know, that's all progress in the right directions. So that's yeah. good. <laughs> Certainly more progress than I had. So. <laughs> Luckily, you got some paint on some figures, though, and that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, that was and that was a big that hurdle, I guess, is getting over that initial step. But now, now it'll be easier. So that so that was a, a huge huge progress for me, but. Next, we'll hit the path to glory, and unfortunately, neither of us got any games. Yeah. <laughs> so. No glory to be had here. Just uh, right. cowards in the eight points. <laughs> They're too busy searching for the next counter, I guess. But yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully by the next time. We're I don't know. I don't know what the glory counterpart to no games is. We're just a <laughs> random sacrifice, you know. You know, we're just like somebody picked off the streets of Car and Brad, unmourned, unremembered. <laughs> That's our that's our level of glory for two weeks. Maybe right. we're too hard on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, Maybe I'll have to get Ben to help me with the challenge battle or something. Yeah, yeah. Get get us get Ben for the podcast content. Yeah, right. We get him in here. I'll tell you what my my I have two I have two plans and I don't have good plans for getting more games. And one is like uh, maybe we'll get one more nice day because uh, you never know and you never know. Yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe me and you could coordinate more tightly and like, you know, whenever there's a night day, we just take PTO and like play a game. I don't know. Um, and the other I like is I hear, and this is probably a real stretch. I hear that the vaccine is coming out in December for very specific people, right? Yep. It's, I think it's for frontline healthcare workers and then like kind of going down a list. Uh, you know, assuming everything goes well. And I'm hoping one of my Warcry buddies works in the healthcare industry and also listens to podcasts. You know who you are. I'm hoping <laughs> he can get a vaccine, and then me and him, I think, can play games safely indoors because um, he's inoculated, and it would just be with me. I don't know if that's how it works. I don't know if you still should be more. Maybe we'll still mask up. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Readers, <yeah. laughs> listeners, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> right in dogswarcry at gmail.com. Um, yeah. But maybe there'll be games happening this winter. Otherwise, it's going to be a cold winter. Cold winter without more kind of games to warm me up. Yep. Yeah. Maybe we can do it. like a garage with the door closed and lights on, and you know that way it'd be still isolated but a little warmer. We could try yeah. it. Yeah. 
<laughs> Maybe I'll have to invest in a space heater. <laughs> okay, it's gonna get pretty. It's pretty cold now. It's gonna. It's only temperature only goes down right generally in Wisconsin. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, we do have some really interesting things in Visions of Madness. What do we got, Paven? Yesterday, when we were putting together show notes, uh, yesterday morning or maybe th- Saturday night, there were no visions. The uh, you know we were drinking, we were drinking the potions, we were smelling the incense, we were you know making the sacrifices, and nothing. You know, but the dark gods have blessed us with glimpses of a future that could be, or will be, or was in in the form. And maybe I'm leaning too far <laughs> into the DRP. <laughs> but in the, in the form of new Warcry releases coming out, pre-order yes. next weekend, uh, and actually also the weekend after that. And, well, well Josh, run me through them. I'm too so, excited. I can't read the notes. <laughs> so the first thing we'll get for this next weekend on pre-order, so it won't come out for two weeks, is the uh, battle tomes for the Grand Alliances. So each each Grand Alliance will have their own Warcry battle tome. You know, they promise hosts of new narratives, new quests, new faded quests, and uh, some new narrative hooks for the new uh, Grand Alliances for each one, which will have new heroes to incorporate in your warbands and new models you can use and a wide range of different types of warbands. We saw some sneak peeks like the new Cities of Sigmar warbands. It'll be really interesting to see what's in on those four books. Looking forward to that so much. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the Grand Alliance books are coming on pre-order this weekend coming up. Yes. Um, I guess we uh, we're recording this on Monday, uh, the 30th. So if you know when we say this weekend is the next one, who knows when the podcast comes out? Right. Um, but yeah, the Grand Alliance books come out first, and then the Toma Champions comes out the week after that. Do I have that right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I think it's up for in the United States. They said the Toma Champions would be up for pre-order December 12th. Okay. Well, good. We'll get, we can pace ourselves then. Uh, right. Super excited for these books. Super excited for the content. I think we'll get a little bit uh, more of the direction of the game uh, out of uh, the collection of all of these. Mm-hmm. Um, anything? Okay, let's talk about the Grand Alliance books first. Anything you're particularly looking for in there? Excited about faction rules? Anything? Yeah, I think um, for the Order Grand Alliance, I'm really curious to see if they'll add the rest of the Cahadran heroes. You know, because you know when they when the Cahadran overlords came out in January, you know we only had access to the normal Order heroes. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the wider range of heroes that you can take as allies or potentially leaders in the warbands for the Order factions. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, and and for Death, I'm really curious to see how they incorporate Soul Blight. But how about mm-hmm. yourself, Haven? Yes, I am excited for more monsters, particularly seeing what what else I can get out of my collection. I can get use out of. I'm also really excited toward. I mean, maybe after the signs, the flames, flames project, or like as part of that project, going into slaves to darkness. And I'm hoping they expand the amount of models I can use for that range, uh, mm-hmm. especially like Chaos Knights. And I even think I saw a picture of the Carcadrac with Chaos Lord on it. I don't know. That sounds seems nuts for Warcry size games like that thing <laughs> smashing around, but that oh that would make that would make that start collecting box very appealing to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and they did I, the the battle tomes for the for the different factions. They did introduce four more Warcry box sets or you know miniature box sets oh, warbands. Yeah. So they're going to release a box set with the Knight Shadowstalkers, one for Signs of the Flame. But also a Legions of Nagash and Sylvaneth 
they look like really good mixes of models too. I think they're great yeah. ways to get into those warbands. Yeah, I don't know if we have prices for these, but the Sylvaneth in particular is a very good value. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. I think it's I think it's because some of those components are a bit overpriced, but still great value. Still, and, and there's some of my favorite Sylvaneth sculpts, uh, the Kurnoth Hunters and the Tree Revenants. Yep. I've been itching to get into Sylvaneth for a long time. I don't think it's the right time given my painting cue, but <laughs> one one day, one day. Okay. I'm an old I'm an old fantasy battle wood elf player, and so yeah. I think the the call of the forest uh, sings to me sometimes. It's still strong. At least you get to help your friend put together Sylvaneth Warband. That was good. Oh yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I did get to paint up those fight revenants uh, mm-hmm. to not his painting Stabbard, but an, uh, an amazing. What do they say? An amazing simulation. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. What, what else? But, what else is coming? What else is coming? What do we know about the Tome of Champions 2020? Oh yeah, we were just talking about this last episode. They're like, they better put up or shut up with Tome of Champions 2020. We're running oh, out of time. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 just yeah, in, just in time. Article <laughs> yeah. November 30th. They released some uh, little snippets of what's going to be included in the Tome of Champions 2020. Paven, you want to run us through those? Yes. So we're going to get new uh, quests. New, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm stalling while I scroll to the right place. Uh, <laughs> it seems like there, I, I, something, uh, they're saying they're rebalancing the glory point system. I mm-hmm. don't know what that means. They did a pretty good, I guess, rewrite of what glory, when you get glory when in Tomo Champions 2019 that I thought was just like a great improvement on the game. It sounds like maybe they're going to take another pass at that. I don't mm-hmm. know. What else could that be? Uh, maybe different ways to add glory, you know, so you could mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, how many objectives you might have captured. So maybe there's a gradient in terms of not just win-lose, but somewhere in between. Interesting. I'll take it. Expanded rules for open play, uh, pit fights, multiplayer games. Sounds like there's rules for fighting a Mega Gargant in there. Yes. Uh, we, we predicted it would be in a White Dwarf, but it's getting the full time of Champions treatment. Do you have a Mega Gargant? I do not. No, I don't. But we Maybe know we Paul do, does. We should, we should borrow Paul's. Yeah, but the Spider King. That would yes. be super fun to fight the Spider King. Definitely. Um, expanded rules for narrative play, and so this is particular. This is I think we're both we both globbed onto this. Oh yeah. A detailed background on Solo Core, the Silent City, and rules for playing a campaign within its long abandoned streets. New new battle plans, faded quests, and a trial of champions campaign specific to this area i like everything in that uh in that section i like all of it yes. what what is exciting you about this in particular i think this is all the city rules that we were talking about in our last episode no less you know this, yeah. is, this sounds like very more ish you know at least on the surface yeah and, or maybe could easily be modified to, to do some of those things that we were hoping for yeah it yeah is it yeah, I, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm so like, is this, is it going to, what is it, how is it going to be thematically? The Silent City, is that more of like a deathly vibe? Right. Um, where is it? Is it in, because all of the landmarks, and we'll talk about this, like in Warcry have been in the Bloodwind Spoil. And the Silent City isn't on any of our maps. And I know this because I just spent the weekend looking at all the maps. <laughs> um, so is this going to be a new place within the Bloodwind Spoil? I mean, we don't see the whole slice in that map, so it could right. be there. Is it? They, are they just going to put it? Is it like off the edge of the map? Is it on the map? But we didn't know about it. Is it underground? Is there going to be like how how granular is it going to get? Like how how you know? Because I want it crunchy as hell. Yeah, um, yeah. 
you know, yeah. they say they have a Trial of Champions campaign, so it could be crunchier because that they're introducing it specifically for that setting. It, yeah, yeah, what is like a different like? Is it going to be like a different flavor on all those tables, or are they going to be like those tables plus more tables? Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was trying to think of the name Sroth Core, and I was like, you know, I'm not sure that's set in the eight points, but it could be. I mean, there are lots of different names, but yeah, so it'd be extremely yeah. interested as we hear more coming along in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. I am definitely happy they're exploring, they're giving us a new place. Yeah. yeah I think definitely. that's looking like, oh, I would, yeah, let's expand it. Let's go to new places. I like looking at old places sometimes. It's got to be a good mix of new. And I'm like very excited about this new city. Why is it so quiet? It's not going to be quiet for a long when we get up in there and start <laughs> chopping heads off and stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> One of the things I thought was interesting too is, you know, the snippet they gave us about rules updates is they talk about updates to reinforcements and the use of consumable items. So I'm really excited about that because I think at this point, consumable items, you know, yes. you fix an action to use. So a lot of people don't use them. So I'm hoping that they revise that somehow. So maybe it's a free action or you know, maybe it's an ability or something. Good call out. Yes, because I saw that was happening. I'm like, finally, because there are some in there that are almost never worth using. Yeah, uh, because it's almost almost, you know, just it's never worth giving up the other action. The action, the other action is just better. Right. Um. And so I'm really happy they're they're changing that. Uh, I I hope maybe they're making it harder. Maybe two actions to use the consumable. Right. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine that. Yeah. But. Yeah, you have to have one action to un to undo the lid and the other to drink it. So that that's really great. As well as updates to reinforcements. I wonder, having played two Catacombs games, I really like the pacing of it. It it, it felt more consistent. I guess is the best way to put it. Like. You weren't just out of the game because everything was too far away, which was kind of a bad feel that would happen sometimes in above ground games, especially if you didn't have like squig hoppers or another high movement thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if they're going to, I wonder what, I'm really curious what these updates to reinforcements, are they going to bring some of the catacombs rooms into base, baseline above ground war cry? Are they doing something else? Are they going to give you more control? I don't know. Um, yeah. It definitely piqued my interest though. Yeah, so and the triumph and treachery pit fight sounds really interesting. I, I saw somewhere else while well, they're you know they introduced multiplayer games for three to six people instead of two two to four. But that mm-hmm. so that should be a lot of fun for you know when we get campaigns and leagues going again. But they uh, somebody yeah. had mentioned I think on Twitter or something about the the rules for triumph and treachery. They talked about ways to have kind of a, a pit fighter campaign with up to three models per person, you know, in a war band. Mm-hmm. So like really small individual model types of uh, games. So there are a lot of interesting exactly. things they're introducing here, I think. Yes. Can't wait. Yeah. All yeah. right. Is that it? I think that's it. Is there anything else you want to say on the, in the, any other visions you were having? No, I'm, no my, my visions are coalescing into this. It's going to be a really exciting December. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to take us into the next section? Definitely. So, we'll move into the Circle of Paint Challenge, the tale of two warbands. And here, Paven and I talk about our progress on our warbands and the painting and basing. We've got a little bit about that in the hobby section. I don't have anything else to add, but Paven, did you have anything else you wanted to mention about your warband here? I wanted to ask you a question, Josh. All right. We're on episode five. Yes. We usually do eight episodes a season. Correct. Are you feeling the heat <laughs> from the circle of paint? I am. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I got my first you know, test model kind of finished up, and I looked at it, and I was like, eh, 
Okay. <laughs> so, so I think I've got a ways to go. And uh, but yeah, I'm I, I'm feeling the heat. I'm hoping six weeks is enough. Uh, okay, but, uh, is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and fix it because um, this was a little bit ill-defined of a challenge. Besides, you paint a warband, I think, but I think you could add addition, as many additional elements as you want, um, as is your artistic prerogative. What is your goal for the for submission? Well, and actually, thinking about that too, is we also had. We started a little later in the warbands because we didn't have the box set yet. So about to think That's about true. that. So my my ideal state for submission was to have all the models painted, you know, at least a 1,000-point warband, and have a, at least a small, not really a diorama, but, you know, have a maybe like the catacombs board or, you know, at least have some of the, the doors or, or walls or maybe a, the three-dimensional version built up and have them kind of on there. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be kind of cool. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, I think yeah, I think thousand points is the is the floor. Painted up a thousand points. I think yep. that sounds good to me. Um, I don't know if I want to commit to anything else. I think I'll just commit to that and then under promise and over deliver. Hopefully, exactly. That's um, why I said, but that's why I, I said am, ideal I, state. Here, I, I will I will baseline because I, I actually like you know I just need to base those guys and then I got a thousand points. That's not too bad. I want to at least add the Ogroid to that. And then anything else is bonus. Terrain is cool. Additional models is very cool. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll exactly. And if we have to go to overtime, we'll go to overtime. It's not our first overtime. I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll play it by ear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're flexible on that. <laughs> I want to hammer you too hard yet. <laughs> right, we want to give people something to speculate and, and drool over and compare. So you know, make yeah. sure at least it's a quality entry. So with that, we'll take a short break, and then we'll come back for our victory condition. Season 3 is here, and we're excited to bring you more Dogs of Warcry. We'll be discussing new warbands, the Starter Box Catacombs, our ongoing games and narrative play, and keeping you up to date on our Circle of Paint challenge. Thank you for the encouragement, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Dogs of Warcry. Please share your ideas and feedback with us as we travel the 8 points together. Welcome back! Our victory condition this episode is to discuss some of the unique stories, lore, and secrets mentioned in the various Warcry rulebooks. Additionally, we'll share some of our thoughts on how these could be used for larger narrative events or campaigns. So we'll start with Paven, and he's got three generic um, ideas, concepts he's going to go through, and we're going to alternate back and forth with sharing some of these secrets from Warcry. With Paven, what is your first secret? Generic? Well, these are, these are the generic. tastiest, spiciest takes out there, Josh. That's true. That's true. All right. All right. I'll, have just have to, I'll just have to prove. I'll just have to prove it to you. Okay. All right. My first uh, place I want to talk about is Lost Valorum. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Lost Valorum. It first appears in the core book, and the description in the book is uh, buried ruins of a city of order that was sacked during the Age of Chaos, destroyed by molten rock cast by chaos sorcerers this city you know eight the eight points used to be the all points and so like kind of a, a utopia um and what happened was uh, the uh and, uh, during archon's invasion he had a number of chaos sorcerers all gather together and like kind of bury bury the city in in lava and ash um it kind of gives me a pompeii vibe and this attack and atrocity was so terrible it kind of it what it did was it um 
it, it trapped the inhabitants and their spirits in kind of a state of like final panic and terror. So the, the ruins of the city are buried and then full of ghosts that are kind of constantly like reliving the end of their city and of their lives. It's really horrible. So it is a city that used to be an order that is in the, the eight points, which is the chaos land, as we've talked about. But it does have like a death tilt, sad and um, dark and uh, tragic kind of uh, end to it. So that, so that's the setting. Very cool. I think I first got excited when I was reading the Catacombs book and it referenced, it says like the Maw is, a, you know, is not the only horrible place in the Ape Points. There's also uh, Lost Valorum, which has its own dangers. And what does it literally say? It is shrouded by death. The, lu- the ruins of Lost Valorum stretch far beneath the sur- surface and they no less lethal of a battleground. So it got me started thinking of like other places you could take your dungeon battles. And we have a Hall of Valorum board um, that it comes in the Catacombs board pack. So one of the four yeah. different places you can uh, that 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 are represented by two of those boards, uh, two boards each have a side, and one of those sides is the Halls of Valorum, which I imagine takes place here in Lost Valorum. Yes. Um, so I thought I thought it was cool that like this place that was mentioned in the core book is also like being more fleshed out as time goes on. And that's kind of the theme of this whole victory condition, which is, you know, the little places that start as like dots on the map that gets maybe they get slowly expanded into more fleshed out settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this place, uh, one more place that comes up is in the quest, the Bells of Lost for Lorum, which is a night haunt quest in the core book as well. And so what's happening here is the night haunt know about all of these spirits and these um, the dead forces of order that are in Valorum kind of trapped there in their state of, of final panic. And, you know, the dead belong in the gash. And so the night haunt, a warband's job is to go there and then to lead a procession of the of, of specters out of Lost Valorum and then into the the opening, <laughs> the open arms of, of dad in the gash. Um, <laughs> and so that's that's the quest you partake on. I don't know. I guess I guess we could do a little bit of spoilers for that quest. And so you get there, and one of the things you're trying to do is silence the bells because the bells, the warning bells of the catastrophe, still ring in Lost Valorum. And so your job is to silence those bells because they're one of the things that tie those ghosts to that place is this final crisis. Um, and so you silence those bells, and then you can lead your flock back to uh, Nagashazar or Shayesh or wherever you're going. Um, although I imagine that's not the end of Lost Valorum, and I imagine there's still going to be ghosts there, but so you take you take your little piece out. It also has a really cool artifact, but it gives your it gives your leader or gives whoever you want to give it to a bell, and I think it's a bell that you can use as an action, and it does damage. Uh, it either does targeted damage or like AOE damage in an area, so you can ring that bell as an action. Um, so very cool. Draws the said thread straight through. That's it. That's all I have on Lost of Lorem. I hope we hear more. Um, I was thinking that could be a place we go to later, but it sounds like we're going to... Oh, I already forgot the name. Solothcore. Right. Yeah. Next. Well, based on the information we do have, how do you think we could build that into a larger narrative or campaign? Um, you could just play, you could just play your, just say your games are in Lost Valorum, or the Halls of Valorum, or Lost Valorum, and you could just play different dungeon games there. Use that board side. Use the other boards, too. I don't think you should be held back. But, like, that is the, probably the easiest way to do it. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, so your your above ground games they can take place anywhere. You or you can um, okay. Your above ground games can take place anywhere. So you can say they take take place on the uh, outskirts or part of the buried city or. You know, you're just taking place in this realm. You can also theme your games more towards the undead or the forces of death. So, for example, instead of use, you could say as a house rule, instead of using for wandering monsters, instead of using chaotic beasts, you could always use restless dead. Yeah. Um, they have rules for using them as wandering monsters. You could just use all of those. Or you could uh, specifically, I don't know, just have the whole campaign be about uh, why you're, you know, you could have your campaign group talk about like why they're there, what they're trying to accomplish and do something a little bit more custom with their campaigns. Um, yeah. or just like take the campaigns out of the book and then twist them slightly. So they're not, you know, going to the fighting pits, but they're fighting, they're going to like, you know, the, the underground arenas of order that were, that were lost when, uh, yeah. Valor was buried. I like those ideas. Great question. Yeah. There's even some challenge battles too, where you're going to a crypt and you fight spirits. You know and that would be perfectly take place here. Yeah. So, lots of different ways to add that. Awesome. Thank you. I think the first secret I'm going to touch on is House of Davenock, and we're first introduced to this house in the Monsters and Mercenaries Faded Quest, and it talks about House Davenock as being a powerful house during the Age of Myth, obviously during the All Points when it was was held by Order. Um, Solomara Davenok died. He was a powerful heir, or the powerful head of the household. And he had two children, one a wizard and one a fighter. And he didn't declare an heir. So his two children went to war, and both of them ended up dying as a result of the battles. And so no one inherited the house. In this particular quest in Monsters and Mercenaries, it's a fated quest, you are looking for the crown of Davenok. And it's this crown, which is you know iconic, and it's been floating around the eight points, and, and uh, you just want it for some reason. You know, Maybe you've heard about it being powerful, or maybe it just really looks cool, shiny. You know, They give a nice description of it. But you want it from the other warbands that have it and running around. And the interesting thing, and again, there'll be a little bit of spoilers here. The interesting thing about this quest is once you retrieve it, it kind of pulls you towards a crypt where both of the children have been interred and they're sitting, they're, they're laid side by side and, and there's a pedestal between them on which the crown used to rest and their souls have been bound to the crypts so they could not fight each other in the afterlife. And you have to choose honor or glory. You must choose one of the children to give the crown to and depending on your results determines whether, you know, what, what reward you get at the end of that quest. So that that's our first introduction to it. And it was later in Tome of Champions, the Disciples of Zinch Quest, we hear this name again. It's called the Davenock Conspiracy. And in this particular quest, Raelian Davenock, is known as the Last Descendant, seeks to reclaim his family's holdings and access the sealed vault. And your warband is helping him for your own individual purposes. Again, it's a series of battles as you work your way towards his old holdings and then once you succeed in reaching it with him, he has to use his blood to open the vault. And at that point, you can choose honor or glory, whether you want to continue to help him or seek the treasures for yourself. These, these two stories are really interesting, where they kind of built upon this, this famous house from the Age of Myth and you know still has a role to play in the eight points where the, the last 
living heir is here in the eight points, you know, th- hundreds of thousands of years later, and um, and, and still taking part, partaking in this quest to redeem his house or, or find his lost family heirlooms. So I th- thought it was a really long-lived story, and because it's a uh, two different, you know, quests. One is a, a quest for disciples of Zinch, but it, just the way the quest was structured, it could be any warband potentially helping him on his quest to find his lost home and, and the family vault. Is you could easily do the initial quest, and then once you get there, oh, you hear about the crown. Maybe you're working with Rayleigh and Davenak again to go retrieve the crown. And, and learn about the family and, and reach the crypt. But, uh, and, and, you know, since it takes place in the crypt, you can easily incorporate a challenge battle with the spirits. I think there are different ways you can kind of twist this and, and build upon the story that, oh, maybe House Davenock had holdings in several different cities in the eight points, and you can go explore those for ancient ruins and, and information. And, you know, maybe what it, how did the house become powerful? Were they trading in magical artifacts or was it rare metals? And you can use those ideas to kind of frame you know what your goals are maybe your iron golems and you're seeking out rare metals that this house had in the vault so i think it'd be fun to kind of twist the campaign in terms of having having one quest follow another as you continue to find secrets out about this particular family did you have any other thoughts Payton? I, I this is one of, this is the one that made me uh, the Davenock uh, family myth is the one that made me thought about this show uh a theme or victory condition uh because like i kept you know kept getting a new book a few months later i'm like oh the davenock are back and i'm like oh what is going on now I was, I was curious to like categorize it and catalog like every time we heard them and see if we could see a greater tapestry yep uh, do you where do you think this one if, if this one gets further publication where do you think this one goes uh, that's a hard question because you know we we deal with his last descendant in one of the quests, and um, <laughs> the double last descendant. Right, last. right. Yeah. So, so if we do hear about it, maybe maybe in the Soroth core, they'll have a mansion or a ruin. You know, maybe they had a business yeah. or something that pops up there, and maybe there's an artifact by their name floating around. That's yeah. Cool. Next. All right. So what's your next secret that you would like to share with us, Caitlin? The next, uh, I don't know if this is a secret, but I wanted to talk about an area that gets a lot of um, a lot of screen time, or at least some screen time. And that is the Fighting Pits of Karngrad. Fighting Pits of Karngrad are a place of violence and death. They're as bad as like a gladiatorial, a gladiatorial arena in the eight points would be is kind of how the Fighting Pits are. Um, Karngrad being the biggest settlement in, inside the Bloodswind Spoil. Um, so most most people, I think, that that are in the fighting pits, like, die quickly and, un, like, un, unmourned and unremembered. However, those those that are strong of arm and quick of wit and maybe a little lucky can find glory here. Um, so there's a lot. There's a number of quests that all take place here. And these aren't the only fighting pits that are that are uh, in the eight points. There's a number of, uh, like, kind of lesser, uh, you know, minor leagues, I think, around the around the Budwin spoil. But I think these are the, the primo one. Um, so I'll talk about a couple, a couple of uh, quests and a couple of warbands that take that that, that uh, participate in these fighting pits. And they're, they're cool quests. But they feel a little different. They're not like go get this sword or kill this guy. It is like you know stay in this one place and just like battle it out in the arena and become the new champ. Um, so I'll, I'll start kicking off with the first one, and that this is from the core book. And these are the spider tyrants, uh, you know, being gladiators. And it, yeah, they they're kind of 
Like it's when uh, like a basketball player goes from it is the field of me from the NBA. They get a little old and then they go and play in Europe for a while. And it kind of feels like this, like the Spire Tyrants were like kicking butt in the very inspire fighting pits. And then they go into this regional one. But that's kind of what they do. They're going out. They're looking for glory. And it, during this quest, they kill like like two of their patrons. So they're but they're not just about like kicking butt in the pit, but they're also <laughs> just saying like they're, like don't mess with us, like we'll we'll we'll, we'll f- you up on and off the court. But that that's a cool one to give Spire Tyrants a really bad boy reputation. The next one is uh, that one was called Making Your Name. The next one is Lords of the Arena, and this is uh, just traveling the circuits, making your renown. This isn't specific to Spire Tyrants. This is a faded quest, so anybody can do this. Uh, it's for monsters and mercenaries, and at the end of it, fight a a, a large beast. And you can, for honor or glory, you can say you can uh, either kill the beast or let it free and have it just rampage in the sand. So, like, you know, it's not safe to be in the fighting pits. It's not safe to go. To, it's not safe to like patronize the fighting pits. It's not safe to even be in this. It's not safe to be in the stands either. Very, very dangerous place. So that, that's a cool one. And then the last one is another faded crest from Toronto Champions: defending your crown. So you can almost play these in order. Uh, making your name, Lord of the Arena, and then defending your crown. You know, yeah. trying to go for the three-peat. And this is another faded quest. And this one, there's a there's another rival gladiator rising in the ranks. And you're like, you know, he's, you know, what is... Oh, it's not a, in Rocky 2, it's still <laughs> Apollo Creed. But in Rocky 3, it's Mr. T. But what's his character name? Josh, can you help me out? Oh, I don't know his name off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, uh, who does so he's he the boxer Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang. How did you, you way beat me on the... Uh, yeah, James Clubber Lang. Yeah, okay. So it's like <laughs> you're Rocky, and because it's not, this is not the third quest, and you're going up against James Clubber Lang, uh, played by Mr. T, and... You know, you have to like, you know, you, you fight a bunch of battles and you work your way up to, to fighting the rival gladiator. And there's like a demon kind of acting as a spy, spoiler. So you're like, your final choice is like, do you like the, the demon is helping your rival? Like, do you accept the demon's aid or you do like not? So that's like a cool kind of, uh, you know, very Warhammer, very uh, chaos choice to make. And you get you get cool perks after that one, too. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, those are the fighting pits. Yeah, I thought, you know, I was doing the research, and this isn't one that jumped to mind, but I was like, I, I was surprised the number of quests that all take place, like, in kind of the same area of Karngrad. Like, you know, yeah. all, all quests have a little map associated with them. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, like, there was, like, a number of them, like, all in the fighting pits, all in Karngrad. All, like, all, I think most of them or all of them had at least one mission where it's just, like, an arena. So you put all the terrain around the edge, and then there's, like, a big dirt pitch in the middle. Where you just gotta, like, <laughs> club it out. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I know there's a bunch of other quests that take place with, you know, dealing with the House of Talons in Karngrad as well. So you could definitely do a city narrative campaign where you're in the fighting pits or you're working with House of Talons or you're, you're trying to, you know, maybe gangs of Karngrad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's certainly a tie-in with the White Dwarf last September, last year, where they yeah. had some pit fighting rules and, and quests that you could do. You know, you can to- totally oh. incorporate that in this sort of a uh, quest narrative, too. Forgot about that one. I yeah, forgot about of... it. I still don't remember it, but it sounds cool. What yeah. white dwarf is that? Oh, I don't have my white dwarf anymore. September of 2019. September 2019. All right, I'll see if I can. I think those rules will be cool. Yeah. yeah right, what's, what's your to... next one, Josh? Hit me with it. The next one I'm going to cover 
is, surprise, surprise, Farron Thax's Maw. Yes, it was on the map the whole time. <laughs> and we forgot yeah. about it. But yes, it's an enormous volcanic forge complex built into the skeleton of a drake. It was always on the map. And now, with Catacombs, we got a lot more information and delved even deeper into it. But what was uh, I thought was exciting for me, is going back looking through the quests, is that two of the warbands have quests that lead from you know various parts of Bloodwind Spoil to Varanthax's Mall. And I thought, well, this is a great way to do a, an above-ground quest that leads directly into Catacombs material. And, and I'll kind of go through those quests now. The first one is the Iron Golems, Conquer the Forge. And their goal is to seek a great forge to make weapons for Archeon. And their final convergence takes place in the forge, where they have to take it over from a rival. And then they uh, can, and then they end up getting you know the the rivals you know specially made weapon and and, and have a forge within the mountain. Uh, the signs of the flame quest is called Tide of Fire, and they seek to drown the world in flames. And the way they do this is by gathering materials and making their way to the maw, which is the volcano that's around here, and causing it to erupt. <laughs> so, I'm not sure if that makes Archeon happy or not, considering he's got a lot of resources there. But I thought it was a really amazing quest where they go there and then make this volcano erupt. <laughs> so, but I thought both of these warbands had great narratives for um, leading you to Varanthax's Maw. And from there, you can pick up one of the Catacombs quests and continue to play into the Catacombs and around it. Um, and I think uh, at least... The Iron Golem's quest, searching for a forge, could easily be tweaked for another uh, particular warband. Maybe they're seeking a, a, a specific artifact or something that was made in a forge in Farinthax's Maw. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but definitely easy tie-ins into Catacombs games. And also, as we talked about last week, or last episode, is you know the whole uh, Broken Realms in Marathi and all the events that are taking place around Varanthax's Maw as well can incorporate a lot of those elements in with these particular quests and the catacomb games that follow up. Yeah, I really, I thought it was funny rereading this one because I read that Iron Golems quest and it's like at the end of it, you're the, you are now the undisputed master of Arendrax's <laughs> Maw. I was like, are you really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you got, that like, one guys. And this, that one this, anvil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got a giant, like, you know, nation-sized complex of tunnels. But uh, I like to think that as, like, embellishment by the warband. It's like, oh, you know, we, we uh, you know, we took this one house. We're like, we're in charge now. And there's, like, right, you know, right. chaos lords in charge of doom forts, you know, that I don't yep. think uh, an iron, an iron golem later. But I think yep. it's still cool that, uh, yeah, we were, we've been in the mall. We've been in the mall since day one. Right, we didn't even realize it. That was awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of other, um, you know, little regions like the Blood Lake Basin where quests take place, and I, I thought that was as I was rereading a lot of the quests, I was like, oh, that's really cool, where they actually lead to some of these places on the map, you know. So it kind of leads yeah. into your your next oh, yeah. thematic area, I think. Yes, like all quests, I think at least in the core book, like take place within a section of the Bloodwind Spoil map. Like, yeah. it just depends on how zoomed in they are. Some of them have very little man- landmarks except for, like, a tiny river. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't know where those are. But, yeah, like, yeah, Blood Lake Basin, the Cardeb Ashway, Soul Flare Desert. These are all, like, you know, places yep. that come Yellow up. Spire. And yeah. you never know when you're going to get a full expansion based on one of these dots. 
Although yeah. Verantix's mall was in all caps and got uh, got a little got a little description, which is where I don't know the most important ones. Um, I don't know. They all have uh, all caps and descriptions here. So. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Okay. So that, well, well, there's like five of them, or six of them, or seven, seven of them, and then some of them are just like the Tower of Xanicus. We don't like have any yep. other information about. Uh, but one of those that ha- gets the description is called the Screaming Coil. And this is an ancient soul engine corrupted by corrupted by worshippers of the Dark Prince. So I don't know what the soul engine did before the Dark Prince got to it, but it seems to be some sort of a mechanical technological device that attracts or holds or does something with souls. I don't know if the engine means it's powered by souls or it has some sort of soul related properties, probably powered by souls. And then it does horrible things. And then what is cool about the the screaming coil is not only it's gross, evocative kind of uh, construction is that so many different factions are attracted to it and then try to use it for their purposes. So I'll go through a few of those there. Um, the first one is called the first quest is a song of suffering. It's in the core brew book and the unmade want to are fighting their way to the screaming coil because they want to use it to project pain just across the eight points and that's what they do they um they fight their way to it they pump it up with souls i forget what the exact mechanisms they use to make it work but they they accomplish it and then it shoots out waves of intense pain which you know what we know about the unmade they love it they're like oh this is great this is the good stuff and then everybody else is like doubled over calling their eyes out because of what this and then they and then the soul engine spends itself the next group to go to it, and this is also in the core book, is the Idna Beacon. And they don't want to use it. They just know there's a bunch of souls in it. Um, so they also fight their way to the coil and they, they, they just suck out the, they just like don't want to turn it on. They just suck out the gas. They siphon out the gas of the thing, of the engine, and just, you know, put it in their lure lights and their different, you know, soul bags that Idna use and are going to use it for their own. You know, not necessarily nice purposes, but they're going to use the souls. And and a line in there at the end of the campaign is like, the souls like willingly get out of the soul engine. They're like, thank God, anywhere is better than being in the Slaneshi uh, engine of, of torture. That's cool. It's also interesting, the, the close tie between an elven faction and a Slaneshi device, because the elves are so closely tied to Slaneshi. Because the Eidnep themselves were once pulled out of a Slaneshi object being Slanesh himself, and now they are kind of repeating that cycle. So that one's a cool one. And the last one, in Tome of Champions, the Hedonites of Slanesh have a quest where they go to the Soul Engine, and they pump it up, and they send out waves of, like, mania and madness. Um, so a little bit more, like, less kind of pure pain, but more just, like, crazy insanity, and they want, like, you know, warbands are turning on their brothers and on their friends, and they're just, like, in a kind of a whirlwind of excess and destruction and violence mm-hmm. yeah um, and so this is cool it's got a lot of people all fighting over it and i think this is like uh kind of how i think about the eight points and a lot of these things like you might like win a battle and you might conquer something but somebody else is going to conquer it like eventually come after you and beat you and, you know the eight points is a chaos personified almost like it's so it's like they're always going to be changed there's never going to be stability you're never going to like win a lasting happy ending you're just right. going to kill the last guy until the next guy kills you. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's the way kind of I look at the soul engine. It's like somebody goes and takes it over and uses it. Then the next person comes and uh, kind of like a never-ending cycle of, of, of taking on these, these chaotic artifacts. 
Yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. The, the continued flux of ownership throughout the, <laughs> the Bloodman Spoil and the eight points oh. in general. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I forgot part of my homework was how you can use it in games. And so here's my uh, idea off the dome. Maybe a multiplayer battle that takes place at the Screaming Coil where the force, where the, uh, where the forces of chaos or the, the bad guys are having some kind of soul related ritual that, that are trying, they're trying to get off with the soul engine and the other, the attackers are trying to interrupt it. So you have like the soul engine in the middle and then you have this big battle. And then maybe for every person that dies, they get sucked into the soul engine and this, it like powers up and different effects are happening, like waves of despair or pain are going out depending on a dice roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the game could like increase in stakes as it goes on and become more deadly or more powerful. Yeah. And, um, that could be a cool, like maybe capstone to a campaign or just like a really fun Saturday multiplayer smash fest. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I like that idea a lot. You can incorporate some of the, dangerous traps from catacombs where maybe you roll a one and oh this is the effect that's happening and everybody takes damage or something like that yeah mm-hmm. so uh, that'd be fun and even incorporate night haunt to escape souls and they start attacking you as wandering monsters and yeah, yeah. So. like oh yeah you like roll a dice on the table and like on a one like everybody takes die six damage on a two on a you know on a three up or a, on a, a one or a two every, everybody rolls a dice and they activate and on a one or two they're too racked with pain to move right and, you know a three a bunch of skeletons come out of the ground and are wandering monsters or yeah. uh, maybe not skeletons ghosts because ghosts. ghosts are more disembodied yeah uh, it's all good ideas let's do it yeah that's awesome though so, I like it maybe we'll kick it off the next campaign with that <laughs> yeah one day one day <laughs> one spring, day. spring right. hopefully spring. Exactly. I oh, know. I keep my fingers crossed. All right. So my last area of interest is kind of a generic category. That's why I kind of said it in the beginning, where it's talking about missions or quests that reference other Games Workshop games or a unique tie-in where there's a quest and a challenge battle tied together. So the first one I'll kind of talk about is this uh, a character called Mython Valagar. And Mython Valagar... Um, was a very powerful Amethyst Archmage who even fought alongside Sigmar in the early days of the, in the Age of Myth. He eventually succumbed to his lust for power and betrayed Sigmar to Nagash for arcane knowledge and, um, and, and wrote several very powerful tomes, which takes place in, in Warcry here. The uh, Legion of Nagash quest is to seek out lost tomes and return it to uh, Archon the Black. So uh, this is interesting because uh, Volgar um, has ties in Age of Sigmar and also some recent publications. So in Age of Sigmar, there's a an endless spell called the Shards of Valagar. You know, these floating obsidian pyramids, which can, you know, cause various uh, effects on the, on the field of battle. But, uh, you know, just kind of illustrating how powerful he was in the ways of necromancy and magic. But there was also a recent book called Thieves' Paradise, written by Nick Horth. And uh, the, the Mortal Realms crew actually did a, a book review for this. It's it's really interesting because it t- one of these tomes of Alagar takes place in this book. And the, there's a struggle between uh, forces of Shaish and a necromancer and some agents uh, in the Order of Azir, which is essentially witch hunters. And uh, they're both vying for this tome. And it, again, it's very powerful, and Archon wants to get it back. And so you could almost tie in a story where the Legion of Nagash quest 
takes place, maybe, and then other warbands interfere, and the tome gets lost, it gets stolen, and then you're doing quests outside of the eight points into Shaiish, where now you're running with the book, and there are other forces coming after you to try and steal it for Archon the Black or for other factions because it's so powerful. So I thought it was it was interesting because it already has a kind of a narrative story loop where you don't know if the Warcry quest came first or if the Thieves to Paradise storyline came first. And but you could definitely develop a series of, of quests or a narrative around that, which maybe takes you outside of the eight points or into the eight points, depending on which way you went. Uh, the other. Um, wait, wait, Josh, that is yeah. a, quite a deep cut and I'm here for it. This is great. This is all news to me. This is so cool. I have, definitely haven't read that book. Yeah. My, my son, Valagar the Betrayer. Dope. All right. Keep going. Hit me, hit me with, uh, hit me more, with more of these spicy, spicy tidbits. All right. So the next one's not as interesting in terms of like in depth across the Age of Sigmar range, but I, all right. I did. All think right. Was... Ne- never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Keep going. Keep going. But it does tie into some very rich lore from Warhammer Underworlds. We have two quests which kind of delve into certain areas of Warhammer Underworlds. first one takes place in the Tome of Champions Faded Quest, calling Fulfilling One's Oath. And your warband is helping another warband, an ally, who wishes to travel to Gur to a place of power. And you help them throughout the series of quests find a book that describes what this place of power is. And it's a place called Beastgrave. And Beastgrave in Warhammer Underworlds is a sentient mountain that uh, is cursed and hunkers for uh, souls, I guess, you know, and your warbands and and, and people who have entered the um, Beastgrave don't typically leave. They, They die and they come back and they continue fighting, they continue warring for each other. It's interesting in this particular quest, you have to choose, again, honor or glory. And either decide to, to help your ally or deceive him and send him to Beastgrave, because you know it's not a good place. So an, a, another Warhammer Underworlds tie-in in the same book, Tome of Champions, was the fated quest, The Haunting of As- Asuka Peak. And this particular place, it mentions it being a strategic pass in the Fangs, I think it is. But you're there to figure out what the source of the haunting is and take control of the past because then you would have strategic dominance of the area. And in the course of the quests, and here's a spoiler, you find the source of the haunting is a spirit of an ancient priestess, Alathira, who's trapped in a shade glass mirror. She trapped herself in it on purpose to escape Age of Chaos and is trapped. And she asks you to help free her so that she can roam the world again in spirit form, essentially. And this ties in to Shadespire, which is the first release of Warhammer Underworlds. And uh, Shade Glass comes from Shadespire, and it was traded and, and distributed widely during the Age of Myth across the realms. So um, I thought that was really interesting, you know, that the kind of nodding to some other games, but tying the lore in, you know, kind of like they did with the Broken Realms Marathi, where they're tying the Age of Sigmar narrative in with, you know, with Warcry. Now we're tying in bits of Warhammer Underworlds with Warcry and introducing items and artifacts that are related to that. And you can, again, it leads you to possibilities of creating a narrative campaign in Shadespire, perhaps, using Warcry rules. Or maybe you're traveling from one and maybe you pass through the mirror and you find yourself trapped. And then you have a whole narrative campaign in Shadespire or Beastgrave, you know, because Beastgrave is getting a next 
expansion Dire Chasm. So it'll be interesting to see if we get additional uh, hints of narratively of what's going on there and how it ties into Warcry. Did you have any, I know you played Warhammer Underworld, did you have any thoughts or, on how to expand this area, perhaps? Yeah, there's no reason why a Warcry campaign can't take place in either of those locations. They're pretty fleshed out locations at this point. And I believe that Shadespire, or like the former ruins of Shadespire, not, you know, because Shadespire is in Ulgish, the hidden gloaming between the realms of light and shadow. Um, but there is like kind of the place around Shadespire before it got torn out um, is still like a city uh, because the gash cursed the city. Um, right. And I believe that area was the place of the first rules of Warhammer Skirmish, which may yep. be a spiritual predecessor to Warcry, although Correct. Warhammer is still technically a different system. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, yeah, any of these places are cool. You could even, I mean, the so I wouldn't use Underworld boards because those are specific to like the the mechanics of that game, but the all of the Underworld's terrain is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you that. could even you could even use the boards. I mean, you wouldn't use the hexes per se, but just for the imagery. Yeah, because yeah. you know we have rules for catacombs where you you just move along the you know two D boards and it'd probably work. Are the how do they? I could probably do this my at home, but uh, do you know how? I have any idea how the underworld boards match up size wise to the Warcry boards? I don't. No, you'd probably yeah. need like four or five of them. You know, and you know, depending on what size they are, it may or may not yeah. integrate well. But yeah, but maybe you know, you have one as a room that you move into or something like that. Incorporate it that way. Mm-hmm. I thought, again, I thought it was interesting, you know, tie-ins and you know, adding a little bit of flavor throughout the Warcry world. And uh, the last one I have is is all within the Toma Champions book. But uh, I thought it was interesting because you could easily link it as a as a story or I guess a narrative campaign that starts with a faded quest called the Ghoul Hunt, where you have to travel to Splinterbones Mance, and he's a flesh eater court. You know, some people you know think they are they're not really dead and they're noble and whatnot. But um, one of your allies' sister has traveled here, it was captured, and it, it's interesting because once you get there, you find out that. She doesn't want to leave, <laughs> so she's she wants to stay. And as part of the quest line, you have to decide whether you let her stay or whether you'll side with your ally and and uh, force her to finish her off. So you're fighting against the uh, you know the war bands to to potentially help your ally or betray them. But this kind of segues into a challenge battle that's found in the book called Lord Splinterbone's Feast. And at this particular challenge battle, your war band is in the manse. Uh, in the court of Lord Splinterbone, and he's having a feast. Uh, of course, not necessarily one you want to actually partake of, but you know that he has lots of treasure without the manse from all those other people that have been eaten. And so you're trying to partake of the feast, but send parts of your warband out to search for treasure at the same time. And it, it's funny because they include a, a Warcry profile card for Lord Splinterbone, in case he catches you, then you have to fight him as part of the challenge battle. So I thought it would be a great way to have a uh, a narrative tie-in where either you've encountered the the Lord Splinterbone as part of the challenge battle, and and then you then you find out your ally's sister has traveled there, or vice versa, where you've been there, you've had to fight. Depending on if you sided with them or against them, maybe that changes how you do the challenge battle, and then determines what happens from there. So 
Yeah, the the Splinterborn Feast is a cool challenge battle because they have that little mini game you're playing while yeah. you're trying to put the treasure to try to like be respectful of of the the, the polite manners of yes. this cannibal police and not rouse the anger of of the region. Uh, who will you know <laughs> will tear you apart and eat you? Yeah, um, yeah, so, definitely. So that's I think a unique challenge battle where we haven't seen that kind of mechanic before. It was really interesting. Well, that, that kind of ties up the three areas of this particular subject. I thought with you know different tie-ins and interesting interlinkings. I think uh, there there are a lot of different other quests which travel to different points of the eight points, and and kind of I think there's even like um, in Blood Lake Basin, there's a couple war bands that travel to that location, mm-hmm. and you know, so I think there are also other narrative elements that you can use to tie in to get these sort of themes. But these are certainly the strongest ones that stood out to me. Any other thoughts on these these choices or any of the other books? Uh, no. I mean, these certainly weren't. Yeah, they, I agree. These certainly weren't the only uh, ones we could talk about. I'm excited to see what comes out. Having just done this review of everything, I think I'm going to be very primed to read through those new Grand Alliance books and Tome of Champions for other callouts because I know yeah. they like to connect, like tell us news things, give us more information, connect to other ones. Right. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that gets fleshed out. I'm also curious to see if we go beyond the Bloodwind spoil. Suspect eventually, and on any timeline long enough, we will go beyond that slice. But I wonder how much more detail we're gonna get. You know, where in where else? Like, what other locations get like a deep uh, or magnifying glass, or just a few other lines? I'll take you know a few few lines here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No. Then there's definitely a. Rereading through the core book and the quests and everything, there's lots of little tidbits where you could easily, you know, talks about the fangs being a mountain range with labyrinthine corridors and passages, you know, definitely streams, catacombs types games, you know, so it reminded me that there's a lot of interesting places here, you know, like Lost Valorum, where you could continue to use regular rules and incorporate catacombs really easily. Certainly get the imagination primed. <laughs> yeah, and I don't use. I haven't previously read every quest that has come out in every book. I read the quests that I'm interested in the warbands, but I mm-hmm. think now that I'm as invested with the entire setting, um, I'm just when when these books come out, I'm going to read every quest. Yeah, and, and and you know try to attach it like, oh, this takes place in the Fangs. Like, oh, what else do we know? Like that, you know, or this is like Forlorn Hope is where this where we end up, or like, oh, another another uh, you know pit fighting one or another you know car and grab fighting pits one oh this one's about you know losing and then climbing back to the top right um, yeah so yeah maybe we'll have to do a follow-up session of like oh some new topics related to the initial topics, topics. Yeah. <laughs> i mean we're about to get five books about war cry which is more than the number of books i have now yeah yeah no it's gonna be lots so, of new yeah. lore I think. yeah i will yeah we'll see what gets yeah i'm curious to see how, how much new stuff we get all right all right that's enough. That's enough about the future. Let's move on <laughs> to the present. Josh, do you have some listener questions for us? We have a lot of listener questions. Which oh, boy. Thank you, everybody. You submitted questions. And again, for anybody who would like to, you can go to the Mortal Realms backslash Discord and submit questions there in the Warcry area or shoot us an email at Dogs of Warcry at Gmail uh, or at Dogs of Warcry at Twitter. So please, um, you know, shoot us any questions you may have that you'd like to hear about. Our first question is from PJ Shark, is Paul, part of the Mortal Realms crew. The question is, now that we have our first Order Warband, 
Do you think that every warband still has distortions of chaos gods written to their background, or are the shadow stalkers pure order? So I think I think here he's you know we don't have necessarily just one order warband. So I think here he's talking about what are the implications of the Canite shadow stalkers with the fallout from Broken Realms Marathi? Are they still going to be order warband, or do they have a tie-in with something different besides just chaos? Yeah. What do you think, Paven? So I'm going to interpret this question to mean, like, are they all going to be written uh, into the, uh, like, eight-point setting? Because I don't necessarily think the Shadowstalkers are distorted by chaos, but I think they have a very specific purpose for being in the eight points, mm-hmm. um, which is as agents of Marathi to extend her influence and, you know, even more specifically, do reconnaissance around Fahrenheit. I think, at least in the near future, all warbands will be, there will be a reason why they are in the eight points specifically. They won't just be like, oh, this is, you know, a, you know, this is, you know, just any kind of troop out of Hammer Hall. This is like, you know, you know, the, the, the demon killers of the Tempest Eye that are on, you know, have sworn blood oaths to kill a thousand demons before they can return home or you know some some other kind of reason for them for that force aligned with order to be so deep undercover right Uh, yeah no i agree with you as you said the every every narrative campaign quest will have a a specific reason for that warband being there i I think even you know as they continue to add you know different chaos aligned warbands and you know we don't know if we'll get that or not after you know the signs of the flame you know, it'll be interesting to see how they play with that in terms of how aware are they that they're following chaos, you know, because so, some of the warbands more so than others. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very, this isn't the whole question, but now I'm freewheeling. I'm very curious to see where they go miniature wise next. Yeah. Do they want to do more warbands? Are they going to give us some more like monsters and mercenaries? Are they going to give us like one off characters, terrain? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm very excited to see that. Our next question is from Thundercake. He asks, do the Grand Alliance battle tomes have lore bits in them? What am I missing from a lore narrative perspective by not getting the associated books? And obviously, we don't know yet. We have, you know, very little information so far. But did you have any thoughts you want to share, Paven? So what we do know is that there are going to be new quests in them. And those quests will have, they, all the quests have some lore associated with them, big or small. We, we talked about a lot about how the quests tie into different geographies within the eight points or within, yep. within the blood of the foil. So I think you'll miss out on those. Um, I don't think there will be, I don't think there'll be like broad narrative beats. So they won't like, I don't think they'll progress the story of the eight points forward. Not that we've ever really progressed it forward, except in Marathi, but I don't. It's not really clear how that affects Warcry, uh, right? In the end, yeah, um, yeah. And, and as we talked about last time, you can you can have it affect it or not really. So it doesn't necessarily have an impact on the AOS setting. So yeah, I would say unless you're enthusiasts like like ourselves, I would say get the the books that that are for the factions you want to play. I yep. think they will be uh, like muskets for those. Yeah, I agree. Our next couple questions are from Travis, K7, seven kicker. He asks, do we think we might get more warbands with each Broken Realms book? And uh, just uh, clarifying that, we didn't actually get any warbands as a result of Broken Realms, but obviously the Canite Shadowstalkers tie in to Broken Realms Marathi quite well. 
Yeah, so what do you think, Paven? With the new, new, like, three, four more books that we're getting, do you think we'll get warbands associated with those? That would be very interesting. I haven't thought about that. We, I think, probably know that certainly isn't the pattern. It could be a pattern. Um, like, if we, if, they, if that's how they want to roll it out. They seem willing to tie Warcry kind of tightly to what's happening in Age of Sigmar. Like, the, the context of Catacombs leads directly into, like, the beginning of the Marathi book. So that could right. be a possible. I kind of hope, and I said this last episode, that they decouple those too quickly. I really want Warcry to be doing its own thing that is kind of doesn't, it's on such a small scale, it doesn't matter what's happening, uh, you know, with regards to, like, gods and heroes. Right. Yeah, yeah, much like Warhammer Underworld. There's unique things going on there, but they don't have a larger impact than AOS specifically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, we already have Heat Knights of Slanesh, so the next Broken Realms book will probably have more to do with Slanesh. Um, so, but those warbands are already represented. And I, I think, much like we talked about last episode, is you can, you can tailor your warband to be from certain factions or perhaps they're their quest or their purpose for being in the eight points is related to what's going on. And of yes. course you can just play Warcry in one of the other realms, you know, to, to take place yes. more closely with the narrative. So Travis's second question was, do you feel the quest for the shadow stalkers for cat from catacombs ties into the broken realms Marathi book? And yeah, we talked a lot about that last time. I definitely think it does. You know, their one of their quests specifically ties into what happened in the Marathi books and even the short story that we got. Yep. So we will hop on to our next question from Toast. And this one is all about you, Paven. All right, here Toast. I come. Tell me more about the Paven method of hobbying, buying new stuff. How did it start? Why do you do it? Do you get stuff done quicker? Do you ever get stuck on a project? Should I do this too? So <laughs> go for it. I feel like I could do a whole show on what are my thoughts about my hobby process, but I'll, I'll try <laughs> to keep it as brief as I possibly can. So I had the kind of a, a couple things I didn't like about my hobby, and this was a few years ago. One was I would buy, I would, I had too many miniatures that either sat in boxes unpainted or unassembled or, uh, you know, in some state where I wasn't using them. And I would feel like a sense of stress and guilt about the amount of things I had. Or I would feel like buyer's remorse about buying something that I didn't actually like use or want or like end up wanting, like caught up in the moment. And so what I did was I was, I thought I would challenge. And part of this is also I really like to paint with or play with all painted stuff. I think that really is where I like my hobby to sit. And, you know, it's, it's, it's the most fun, like kind of cinematic, beautiful version of the game. Like I really like to think of like uh, tabletop games as kind of a performance art almost, although it seems very percentage, but I think it like looks really cool on the table when it's all really nice terrain and the army's all painted and smashing into each other. That is like, it gives me, you know, gives me good hobby feeling. Um, and so a way I was going to try to resolve this is I was kind of cycling down from, this is going to be a little bit of story time. I was cycling down from, playing War Machine and 8th edition Warhammer 40k 8th edition had just come out and I was like really excited about that and I was like well like do I want to get into a new game in a new system am I gonna paint my stuff like what how and um, so I kind of told myself I'm like all right I will buy one model and if I paint it I will I will try to get into the hobby and then I will get the next thing and I was gonna do like a start collecting tournament at the Warhammer store 
so I bought a Eldar Altark and I painted it. Felt good, looked good. Um, it was one of my better painted models at, at that point in time. And then so I bought a start collecting box for Eldar and then I painted that. And then I was, well, you know, that took me a while, but I painted it. And then I was like, all right, well, this is how I think I like my hobby to be is I'm just going to only buy the next thing when I completely painted the previous thing. And so in order to not get too deep in that hole, um, and I like buying things, it's very exciting and I get to pick it out and think about it. It's such a nice, uh, a good feeling, especially when I earn it. Yeah. Um, so it gave me a lot of positive feedback loops about painting my stuff, about buying things, about really only very intense. Like I don't impulse buy anything because it's like a, it's something I get to make a purchase like once a month or once every, you know, maybe longer than that if I buy the catacombs box. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very, it's always a very intentional purpose. And I almost never buy something I don't like um, or not really excited about. And I actually paint way more because if you get excited about something, the only way to get it is if I paint my current backlog. So it creates a bunch of virtuous cycles. And I've been doing this for almost, I think, two and a half. When the eighth edition came out, like three years ago, maybe more than that. And I have painted everything I yeah. bought since then and got to work on some of my deep backlog. And so, oh, yeah, part of the process was I was like, with that new Eldar miniature, I was like, okay, starting today, my backlog doesn't exist. That's all in the attic now. It's not real. My backlog is this one miniature, and I'm always going to get back to zero backlog. And that way, it like, you know, it's not, you know, it will be too big of a hole if you already have this big old pile of plastic to, like, dig yourself out of that. But just start today. Just say, like, I'm going to paint my last purchase. And then I'll paint the next thing and then go from there. And now, and now I'm at the point where I not only paint everything I have, but I also like paint stuff off of my older backlog. Like I dig stuff out of the attic and paint some of those. So I, um, I've made meaningful progress on my Lizardman Enforce. Well, it's, I painted a warband, uh, that I've talked about. Um, mm-hmm. and I've painted some other things and that feels really good. And it's kind of where I want my hobby to sit and it encourages me to paint more. And I almost always play with all painted stuff and it works really well for me. And I know that's not for everybody. A lot of people want to play with, like, you want to play the whole new army. And I'm saying, like, if this sounds horrible to you, don't do it. I do it because it makes me happier. Um, that's kind of the point, And it makes me enjoy my hobby more. So that was nice. a long answer. No, no, uh, that's no, perfect. I think I answered all of uh, Toast's questions. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and Toast's mm-hmm. other request was to have me rap the intro song. For the <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, I do not have that oh, so skill. So this is definitely the easier, easier one. <laughs> When we do our when we do our first live show, we'll all we'll wrap the intro together. We will give it our best yeah. shot, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We have to figure out what the intro says first. But, uh, <laughs> I have it on my T-shirt. That's what yeah, it works. Do. It's hard to read that T-shirt too. Right. Right. Okay. So uh, our next question is from Rapturous Rex. He asks. Does adding mercenaries as leaders add or detract from the themes of each warband? Is it a net positive or net negative? And I think this is in reference to some of the leaks regarding the, the Grand Alliance battle tomes and that the heroes in there could potentially be the leaders of your warband. What do you think? I think it's a net positive. I think it's having more choice in your warband is a way to be more narrative. And that is uh, a good thing. I, I'm curious to whether you can, what happens to mercenaries if everybody can be like, if everybody's like a first order warband member, if there's like a, you know, a leader version and a mercenary version or what, or how that works. But 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. And I think, you know, having choice allows you to be more thematic and lean into your own personal narrative more. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, uh, yeah I too am interested to see, you know, do you choose the leader versus, you know, the, the mercenary, the, you know, as your leader to start with in the initial part of the campaign or do you eventually replace it? But I think um, having the choice to have one of the heroes be your leader in your warband can create a unique opportunity where you can move from Warcry to Path to Glory to a small games of AOS to large games of AOS. You know, so you can. My hero has started off in the small warband. He continues to grow, and now he's got more armies. He's got more people. Then you could really build a neat story for your your forces that way. Yeah. All right, and uh, our last question from Severe Elon is, did your warband participate in the story of Broken Realms Marathi, or were they off doing their own things? Basically, with this huge battle around Varanthrax's Maul, how would you have been pulled into the fighting? So would your Sirens of Flame have partaken in any way, shape, or form? Um, I haven't thought about that very much. It's an interesting question. I don't know. Josh, what are your thoughts? Does our campaign, where did, does it take place before, during, or after the events of Marathi? I was kind yeah. of thinking before, but I want to kind of like uh, get to a point. I want to agree what like the time, the time frame we're talking about. Yeah, no, I think I had in my mind, in my narrative, since, since we've been sent to the mall to die, um, and, and we're searching for someone else to trade for our souls, that this kind of takes events before Marathi's uh, ascension. So, you know, but yeah, maybe maybe we uh, finish up our campaign with a unique battle where we've got random events occurring as the Mark yeah. Farron Traxxas Mall is being invaded. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah, we'd have, have uh, you know, Chaos Warriors rushing on and having, you know, Daughters of Cain rushing on or, you know. It's, it's Stormcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, that ties up all the questions we have for this particular episode, and uh, we hope you enjoyed hearing uh, some of the linked narratives that we found throughout the books and, and references to other games or other other parts of the Warhammer world. And uh, if you find other any other interesting links, uh, you know, please shoot us a message. Let us know. We'd definitely be interested in hearing about it. Yeah. Anything else oh, you'd like to I, add? Should I wrap us up? Should I plug some things? <laughs> Go for it. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to our show. Uh, you can check us up on Twitter at uh, at the dog at Dogs of Warcry. Uh, Josh Man's at Twitter. Please, the best way to uh, hang out and chat with us is at themortalrealms.com/discord. That's where we get our questions from. That's where we hang out. Um, I will drop all of the pictures of the stuff I talked about during today's episode. Well, I'll try to. Uh, I always mean to. The Monday, the Wednesday, we dropped this episode, so I'll, I'll put all the the dump in there. So if you want to check out, like, I don't know, my army on parade board and my science projects progress, or you know, the basing and all that kind of stuff. If I have a picture for it, I'll put it in the Discord. Uh, check it out there. Um, other, we got an email, dogswarcry@gmail.com. You can hit us up there. I don't know what what else. Where where can they find you, Josh? Yep, all of those places are perfect. And again, uh, you know, we'll be sharing pictures in the Discord, you know, as we make progress. And as I continue to flip-flop color schemes, you can see that struggle I go through. <laughs> and hopefully you can join us in that path and, and share your ideas and input as well. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themortalrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themortalrealms.com forward slash Patreon. 
More content is available at themortorealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Welcome to Midwest, I'm the truth, this is narrative, this is a podcast, you'll never turn right, I'll be in the fall, we can't show false dice, you're gonna go in this one, never gonna go, no, to the Dogs of Warcry.